All right, the scripture I want to lead off with this morning is a scripture with a story behind it, but we're going to do the scripture first, and it's 2 Chronicles 16.9. Speaking of Father's Day and God being a good father, I love this verse. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And it's such a beautiful sentiment. And I think a lot of times we've got um, some, you know, what we call bad dad theology has ingrained itself in the, into the mind of mankind. It came in from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, causing people to be confused, wanting to hide from God who they, they saw as an enemy. But the reality that his eyes are running to and fro, searching throughout the entire earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him is such a beautiful sentiment to me. And there's something to where we can view God as his eyes are always watching, looking for us to get out of line so that he can put a smackdown on us, right? A troublesome, fearful, fearful view of the conviction of who God is or is not. And, but this, this verse that the eyes of God's actually looking around and searching for people whose hearts are loyal because he wants to do great and mighty things, exploits through their, through their lives that actually establish the kingdom in the world. And see this, we've talked a lot. Sometimes we, we speak about things like 1 Corinthians 10 where it literally talks about how the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for us so that we can actually take these stories and apply them to our life as New Testament Christians because they're actually prophetic shadows of what we're called to walk in and walk through. And this term, the eyes of the Lord in the Old Testament, is synonymous with the Spirit of God in the New Testament. And, you know, there's, there's several different references for it, but one I was reading actually this week because some stuff the Lord's been taking me through. In Zechariah 3 and Zechariah 4, you have these prophetic pictures. This, this prophet Zechariah is like caught up into the throne room of heaven. He sees this this throne room revelatory deal. And Joshua, the high priest, is actually with them in the, in the vision. And there's this prophetic symbolism of, of this stone, the chief cornerstone, really, that we hear that is the Lord Jesus, that, that has seven eyeballs on it. And um, the stone with seven eyes. And, in, and then in Zechariah chapter 4, the angel actually has to explain to Zechariah, like, you know, kind of, you don't know what this stuff is, huh? And he has to tell him, these seven are the eyes of the Lord which are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. And so this, this prophecy that's, that's given to this king named Asa here in 2 Chronicles 16, uh, there's, there's a direct reference with Zechariah and this angel actually articulating the, sim, the symbolism of these eyes which are running to and fro throughout the whole earth are the spirit of God. It's God's actual spirit on his Messiah in that particular passage, but we're coming to understand that all these things in the Old Testament are symbolisms of us in the new covenant that walk according to the ways of the Spirit of God. This new covenant, which is God's Spirit within us and with us at all times, which is really important for the message today. And so you have these, these seven, like, you know, the Isaiah 11, 2, this prophecy of, of this shoot, this branch coming out of David's lineage, the Messiah himself, that will have these seven, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding and of counsel and of might and of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. These seven, which, which are the delight of God and his fear, but it's, it's like the reality of the spirit of God that would be upon this stone, this Messiah that's 
parabolically and prophetically spoken about in the Old Testament and then fulfilled in the New Testament covenant for us. Like we have like Revelation 3, when Jesus announces himself, I am the one, I am the one who has the seven spirits of God. You know, the sevenfold spirit, some of your Bibles will translate a sevenfold spirit or seven spirit. It's literally talking about wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge, fear of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord. This is, this is a prophetic symbolism of the Holy Spirit. And so the story I want to uh, kind of go into today is literally talking about us as New Covenant Christians living our lives in a way that we acknowledge that we are never alone. That Proverbs 3. In all of our ways we acknowledge the Lord. Why we can do that is because He's always with us, you know, in this covenant. And um, I will never leave you or forsake you. All these things that He used to speak about. And this empowerment of the New Covenant what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, my spirit will be upon you and you'll be my witnesses over the entire world. So it was never, it was never meant to be something where my spirit's going to come and, and smack your hand every time you put it into the cookie jar. You know what I mean? It's my spirit will be in you to empower you to be who you truly are and witness of me everywhere you go. And the reality is God desires us to have such success in this life. And I mean that in a very secular way as well as in a spiritual way, because in this walk, you don't separate the two. He wants our lives to arise and to shine. So people are actually attracted to him, not to us, but to him, because they understand he hasn't been looking to disqualify us. His eyes have been actually looking for us the entire time to empower us. And when our, eye is, when our eye is single, or in other, in other words, when our heart is loyal to him, you know, when we're yoked up with his plans and purposes, he displays his power and his strength on our behalf. This has been foretold through the entire Old Testament and activated in the New Testament. And I feel like it's a, a beautiful thing for us to walk in, uh, in the here and now, okay? So the way we're going to do this, that's what I'm going to tell you, okay? But the way we're going to do this is we're going to look at the life of this man named Asa, a story that I read when I was some of you young people's age. I was probably 22, 23 years old, and um, it really impacted me back then, nearly 20 years ago. But I think that it'll be good for us, and it's the way that Asa got this word, this prophecy that, hey, buddy, the eyes of the Lord are, have been searching for those whose hearts are loyal to him. Now, in Asa's story, by the time he receives that prophetic word, it's kind of a kind of a sad thing because he had dropped the ball, you know what I mean? But Asa lived his life, which was majority successful, as a way that we can actually learn from. And as is the, the majority of the cloud of witnesses, I would imagine he would be very happy that we did learn from him. So we're going to start in 2 Chronicles 14. And it starts where, where Ace, King Asa first is established as the king over Judah. You know, Israel and Judah is kind of split into... into basically a separate nation. But it says something in, in, in 2 Chronicles 14, 2 that I think's the message. It says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. So there you go. You have the word, the eyes of the Lord there again. But Asa chose to align his heart, his plans, his purposes with what was right in the sight of God. It says he removed the altars of the foreign gods in the land. He broke down all these sacred pillars. He goes through and does all these incredible things as far as wiping out all of idol worship, um, the majority of it, through Judah, through Jer Jerusalem. It says he removes the high places and incense. And it says the kingdom was quiet under him. 
And he built fortified cities of Judah, for the land had rest, and it had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. So he spoke out to Judah, he spoke to the people, and he said, hey, let's build, let's build walls, let's build towers, let's establish, let's move forward. There's something prophetically for us to see that everything in our lives that is of the kingdom is progressive. We are always building and we are always establishing something. And then there is always growth. If we're following the shepherd, this is always true of our life. Okay. And if we are not, it is, yeah, not. So, but there's always a, a, a positive step forward and growth and progress, progression and understanding. Not that there isn't trial, but there's growth even in trial. Everything that comes at us. It says, so they built and they prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears. And from Benjamin, 280,000 men. Wow, that's 580,000 people with shields and drew bows. And all these were mighty men of valor. It sounds like he really had it going on. Until verse 9 happens. The, the Zira hits the fan. Zira was an Ethiopian who came out against him with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. So there's your 500 and what I say, 80 versus a million plus 300. So Zira, the Ethiopian, comes out and decides it's time to fight. Judah's in a time of building. They've been a time of, of rest and peace. The king has aligned the nation's eyes with the Lord, or at least in a great way. He's removed much of the the witchcraft and the idol worship of all the other gods, the false gods and stuff that's going on. And now as he's growing, some would see this as a sign of an attack, but this is another sign of growth because he was knocking on the enemy's gates. Zira the Ethiopian actually comes out against him with a million people. But it's beautiful because this kind of really seems like Jonathan's message from last week. Remember how Jonathan and his armor bearer is like, maybe... The Lord's going to do something on our behalf because it doesn't matter if there's many of us or few of us. It, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we have a covenant with God and we're with him and he's with us. So it's, it's, it's brilliant because Asa, who knows that story, he actually cries out to the Lord in this scenario. And he says something very similar to what Jonathan said to his armor bearer. He said, it's bearer. He said, it's nothing, Lord. It's nothing for you to help with many or with those who have no power. Help us because you are our God and we rest on you. And in your name, we go against this multitude. You are our God. Let, do not let man prevail against you. In other words, we don't actually look at our own strength and our manpower as our actual power. We look at it, you as our power. And his perspective, it doesn't matter what man and what in the natural is coming against us. We have something supernatural. We have a leg up on this. And he cried out to God with that mentality because his eyes were, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It says, so the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and all the people with them pursued them to Gerar. And so they actually pursued them into the land that they were and even further than that. And they defeated all the cities around Gerar for the fear of the Lord came upon them and they plundered the cities and there was exceedingly much spoil. They attacked the livestock enclosure, carried off sheep, camels in abundance, and returned to Jerusalem. So it's this, this beautiful story of the underdog. Somebody whose eyes are actually synced up with the Lord's eyes and doesn't see things in the natural the way the natural man would see them. And so it's this beautiful story of King Asa. And then all of a sudden, this, it says there's a man of God that comes, this guy named Azariah, and he gives him a prophecy, which I, I've always thought this prophecy right here 
is one of the most common sense. It's like, dude, that's not a prophecy. That doesn't count as a prophecy, but it's just so silly to me. He comes out to give Asa a prophecy, and he says to Asa, he says, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And, you know, just looking at that, like, man, it's like, that doesn't sound like much of a revelation. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? Yeah, as long as you're with God, as long as you're on God's side, then he'll take care of you. Okay? If you seek him, he'll be found by you. And if you forsake him, you know, he won't. And it's like, well, yeah, that sounds just more like common sense. But the fact that Asa had to come, or this, this man of God, this prophetic man, had to actually come and release this prophecy to Asa and the kingdom showed like, hey, there's great victory here for you. Don't become comfortable in such a way. Remember of why you had this victory. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just like, so here he comes and he gives this, this, this message to King Asa. Then, then King Asa takes it up another notch, which is a really beautiful thing to see. He takes it, he, he, he hears these words and this prophecy of this guy named Oded, and he moves on and he, and he says, he took courage and removed even more of the abominable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin. And from the cities where he'd taken, the mountains of Ephraim, he restored the altar of the Lord before the vestibule of the Lord. So he goes out and like he had already done this to a good extent, but then he just went really super hardcore with it. It says he gathered all the people of, of, Jerusalem, of Jerusalem, so many people that had kind of drifted out of their nation, had actually started to come back for them. There was like this movement. There, there was this momentum, this kingdom momentum that people started to be gathered and, and, and to wake up. And it says in verse 12, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul. It's beautiful. It also says whoever wouldn't seek the Lord was put to death. But let's, you know, that's, this is the Old Testament. So let's kind of, let's take it easy on that, you know. Um, um, but, you know, they take this oath before the Lord with this, 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 this loud voice. And then King Asa does something that was so monumental. It was, it was getting to the root of the thing. It was getting to the root of the thing. He removed this lady named Makah, who was, it says it's the mother, but I think it was actually his grandmother from being the queen mother because she had made an, she had made an obscene image to, to Asherah. And so he cut down her, her, her image, crushed it, and he burns it by the brook Kidron. And this is, this is one of those things that's super important because you'll see, like in the next few chapters, especially if you look in the first Kings, which is the same story, a couple chapters later, that's when you have, you know, Ahab step onto the scene, you know. And where, where this Asherah, Asherah's like, Asherah is what we would call like a Jezebel, like the real Jezebel spirit. Like Jezebel was like actually a lady, you know what I mean? It's, it's called a Jezebel spirit, but Jezebel was like a priestess, a prophetess. But you know, like remember when Elijah called down the fire from heaven, I think it was 400 prophets of Baal or 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And those were, those, that was like Baal the type of Satan and Asherah, the type of Jezebel spirit. So it's just really, really kind of up there. But it's just like, it's one of those things where King Asa thought to like, let's take it to another level. Even like, even if my, even within my own lineage, you know, the queen mother, it's like, there can be no partnership with this. Now that spirit would find its way through Ahab and Jezebel. You know what I mean? Uh, you know what I mean? But um, in, in this scenario, and that's Israel, this is Judah. And so in this scenario, Jezebel, that we say Jezebel, but this is like the true God. This is like the, 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 the big mama, the boss lady, 
and the boss, you know, the devil. And, you know, this is like the real, this is the bad, bad stuff, you know. So we should probably call Jezebel spirit a natural spirit, you know what I mean? But, you know, whatever. It's just kind of a thing. But anyways, what I'm saying is he did some things to really rid the land of some serious demonic influence that was seeking to poison and destroy the people of God. And so for Asa, we can give him the thumbs up, you know, and he obviously drops the ball. You've heard the end of the story. But at the same time, um, he really came with it. Um, I have something written in my Bible. Let's see what it is. It says, when something dark is revealed, deal ruthlessly with it. Yeah, so there's that. And that's something with Asa, you know. It's like he had this wonderful and great victory. Then he gets this word, and it takes it to a whole nother level of ruthlessness against those dark things which he would not allow to cloud the vision of his people. And so I thought that was kind of, kind of interesting. Um, so, so, so he's going what we would call into this level of, of being wholehearted, man. And then we have chapter 16. It says the 36th year of his, of his reign, the king of Israel actually comes up against Judah. Remember, they were divided. That he might not, not let anyone come in or out to King Asa. And so the idea would be that Asa, now you've got the king of Israel coming after him. The idea, what you would think would be like, hey, you just had an, a million Ethiopians, more than a million Ethiopians come after you. And you, you were able to realize that, hey, they can wipe us off the face of the earth, but we have a covenant with God and it doesn't matter who's got more or not. We're living by the spirit. But now you have a man who's had great victory and has peace in the land and has a lot of growth in his life and has, has, has a lot of blessing of the Lord, a lot of establishment. And who's even by routing the, the, Egyptian, the Ethiopians, by routing all these other people groups, he's, he's gathered, he's got so much wealth in the kingdom that when somebody actually comes to start a beef with him, there's that word again, um, Instead of actually inquiring of the Lord, this was the mistake that he made. He actually inquires, he sent to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. And he said, hey, let there be a, a treaty between me and you as there was between my father and your father. I'm going to send you a bunch of gold that you'll break your treaty with the king of Israel, who's actually trying to start a fight with me, and, with, and, and, and cause him to withdraw from me. Like, would you have my back? So he used what he actually did have. He used his own strength. He used his own resources to accomplish something, which it's like, hey, buddy, that's not attacking you or your kingdom. It's attacking God's kingdom. So it's just a different mentality that he shifted into. So he makes a treaty with this king. This king actually shows up and actually does help him. Again, King Asa took all of Judea and they carried away all the stones and timber and all the stuff, all the building materials that Israel had came up to try to, you know, so they actually had a, vic a victory. But then a man who's a seer, and I love that it doesn't say a prophet, it says a seer. And a seer is a prophet in the Old Testament. But I think nothing in the Bible was written by accident. And so the fact that God actually sends a seer to him this time instead of just a prophet like Oded or, or any of the other prophets to actually give him an oracle of what God's saying, he sends a seer. He sends somebody with perspective, which to me symbolizes that like, hey, you, you did what was right in the sight of the Lord. You were seeing things from a heavenly perspective. You were walking by faith as we see in this new covenant Christianity, 
you know, you're seeing in this way. And now I'm having to adjust your sight because you've put your eyeballs down. Okay. Put your eyeballs down. Um, works for me, but it's a strange way of saying that. But he said, Hey, listen to this. So Hanani the seer actually comes to him and says, Hey, because you've relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped your hand. It's like, whoa. It's like you think you just beat the corrupt Israeli army and you made off with some of their materials. But the Lord wanted to grow and establish you. Okay? There's a, here's, a real, here's, here's something really interesting in the kingdom, like I, we were talking about, we can be in faith, which is always progressive, and it all, is always growth, and it is always establishing the kingdom. Or we can be in fear, which is totally the opposite, which causes us to look inwardly at our own selves and try to protect what we do have. You catch me? And so he got to this place where it's like the, the seer is coming and saying, hey, you got to this mentality. You looked in the strength of, that you did have. Well, you've got gold, and you've got wealth, and you've got these things. And in your own flesh, you worked out a plan to protect what you actually have. But the plan you worked out with was with the enemy that you were actually called to conquer and take their land and, and take their stuff too. You were called to actually grow. The kingdom was called to expand and grow, not huddle. The church isn't called to huddle and be, be safe, right? Us as Christians, it's like the gates of hell will not prevail. It doesn't mean our gates will be safe from the, the hellions. <laughs> you know what I mean? The demonic horde's not going to break in our gates because they're the kingdom gates. It's like, what? No, no, no. It's like, hey, listen, we're not called to, to shrink back or to hide and feel safe and secure. We're called to actually grow and expand, you know. And like you look into your own self, you look into your own resources and stuff like that, and you just got into this mentality of fear, which was protect what you have. But the beautiful thing for us as Christians, if God's given you something, it can't be taken. If it's of the Lord, it can't be taken from you. If you've been positioned by the Lord, that position can't be taken from you. It's like David when Saul, you know, Absalom came and took the kingdom. He's like, well, maybe he's going to get it. But if the Lord hadn't given it to him, it's going to be mine still. And he was right because the Lord set him as king, even when the numbers didn't look like that. There's this mentality of rest that we're called to walk in because it said that, that the kingdom, Asa's kingdom, the, the kingdom of Jude, uh, Judah had rest. There's this mentality of rest where we're not actually trying to protect anything. We're completely transparent. We can walk in complete and total life and light because we have the confidence of the Lord within us to where like, I don't have anything to guard. I have everything to give, yeah. everything to give. Rivers of living water will flow out of our inmost being means that we're going to get to drink of them and release them, but they will flow, which means they keep coming. It's not like, well, if I, if I, if I keep this, for, if I give this to somebody else, I won't have enough. It's like, yeah, you won't have enough unless you give it away. It's a different mentality. It's the mentality of the kingdom. So this, the seer comes to him and he says, hey, we're not the Ethiopians and Lubim, a huge army with many chariots. Like, God, like, listen, buddy, didn't, what, weren't they a lot more of a threat some years ago when they came at us? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Like he was trying to tell the king, hey, it, it's that easy. And this is where that beautiful prophecy comes. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you will have wars. Interesting. 
Yeah, usually I don't read that part when I'm reading the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth, searching for whose hearts are loyal to him to display himself strong on their behalf. The second portion of that is it was being told to King Asa, and it says, but you've done foolishly, so from now on you're going to have wars. In other words, this was a setup in your life. This, this, what, this tumultuous situation, this thing coming to your door was a setup in your life for the kingdom to grow in the earth. For the kingdom of Judah to literally be established over the Syrians. And yet, you relied on yourself as if you had built this whole thing. Remember that saying we say sometimes, like anything we build in our own flesh, in our own strength, we will have to maintain in our own flesh and in our own strength. And that's exhausting. Yeah. Anything spiritually or ministerially that we're building out of our own flesh, out of our own, ad, I mean, advertising and, you know, networking and doing all these things in order for it to maintain, you'll have to continue that. Hype, it'll have to continue that. You know what I'm saying? But that which is given to the Lord and walked in by the Spirit and by faith, we don't have to protect anything. It's like the prophet Elisha when he saw the Syrian army actually come to him. See, Elisha said, literally said, like, what do you want us to do with them, Lord? You've given them into our hands. And then he struck them blind. You know, this man sees the Syrian army or, or, or he sees an invading army and makes, makes a network connection with them to protect what he has because he has enough gold to handle it himself forgets the reality that God was with him the whole time. And it totally cost him. It's very interesting. He got mad at the seer and put him in prison, which is just kind of sketchy. But it closes his life in Chronicles. It says in the 39th, you know, um, all of his acts are written in the books of the kings of Judah, which is first kings for us. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. And his malady was severe. So he got some type of disease on his feet. I don't know what, I don't know what that, I don't know, it's like Bob Marley maybe. I don't know because he got something in his feet, right? So he got something that, 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 that ended up taking him out. I don't know if it was cancerous. I don't know what it was. It says, but he was diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Yet, this is in Chronicles 16, 12. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. And it's so interesting. Can you imagine that being read about you? In, in the 39th year, you know, he became diseased in his feet, yet very similar to the other ones. Like, hey, like you've done foolishly. You used to rely on the Lord when, you, when, when the Ethiopians came at, at you. You connected to him and he handled it. He wanted to handle that for you. He wanted to establish the kingdom in even greater measure, but you thought about it dealing with it in your own self. And so his life is summed up here in this, in the way he actually died. He became diseased in his feet and the malady was severe, but he didn't seek the Lord so he rested with his fathers. This word, which has inspired the word of God written, the spirit of God wrote this to us, is telling us if there's another chance with Asa that if he would have sought me, he would have been, he would have been healed from, from his infirmity. There's no way to get around this. And this isn't a healing message as much as we believe in that and we're pursuing this. But what this is, is, is another uh, simple picture of the reality that the Lord was always good. Right? First Corinthians 10, like these things, 10 verse 11, these things happen to them for our admonition, for us to see something. The Lord was always good to him and he was always there for him. Right? It's just if he would have sought him, 
he would have. Now it says, you know, he did right in the sight of the Lord. Like his, his lineage, especially for somebody that lived under the old covenant, you know what I'm saying, was great, especially you compare him to the majority of the kings of the Bible. You know what I mean? So we're not taken away from this guy or being disrespectful for our, you know, somebody who's went before us who's a cloud of witnesses. You know, what, but what we are saying is imagine having that set of your life when you die. How about this? Imagine even the Lord coming to you and, and saying that about your life even in previous seasons you've gone through. Remember this season? Well, here's the lesson. If you would have sought me in that season, you would have had experienced breakthrough in the situation you were in. You'd be like, oh, really? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh my gosh, it'd be hard not to have regrets. You know what I'm saying? And remember in this, this season of your life, back in 2020, like, you know, you, you remember when you went up against this? Like, hey, like, if you would have sought me in that and walked my ways out of it, walked in my way through it, you would have had a breakthrough there. That would have been a major blessing. But you didn't. You chose to kind of handle it yourself. You'd be like, oh, really? <laughs> you know what I mean? Which isn't a terrible thing. But, but how many times was the Lord with him? And, and the reality that he got a disease in his feet, it, it really is prophetically symbolic to us. It's like his walk with the Lord was plagued because he didn't actually seek the Lord. Remember the warning that he was given by that first prophetic guy, um, Odin, like, the Lord is with you while you're with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. It's like all you have to do is seek him. He's always going to be there. Sounds like some Jesus words in red. He who knocks, it'll be open, right? You know what I mean? It's like he's right. It is, you got to knock and it's there. You know what I'm saying? He who has an ear, like, listen, there's, there's something to our walk in the spirit and in this new covenant. We've come out of this old covenant mentality where we're fearful and we're wanting to protect what we do have as if what we have was given to us by our own strength. The reality is all good things come from God and all that which is in our life that's a blessing from God can't be stolen from us. You know what I mean? And when something comes, comes down the pipes that seems threatening, you know, the ability to acknowledge the Lord in it. What is it Proverbs 3 says? In, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. paths. It's like, what do you mean in all my ways? Like in everything, he's, he cares about everything, even to the smallest detail in our life. And I can't imagine coming into the end of my life and realizing there was options that I had for blessing and breakthrough and to take territory and region and, and, you know, and to implement the kingdom of heaven in a constant basis but I was like trying to figure out how I was going to work it out in my own self. And maybe sometimes it worked and I skated past it like, yes, that, that works. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes, Israel didn't get to camp out and, and, and cut us off and then actually starve us and then actually come after us and kill us. And I'm like, yeah, but they weren't going to, they weren't going to get that anyways. If you were soft the Lord, you were going to take Syria and them. You would have had a double. But this is mentality of walking by faith that is so rooted in, you know, like what Kaylin opened up with Father's Day, man. It's like this reality that the eyes of the Lord, the Spirit of God, our Father, is actually wanting and hoping to implement the kingdom of heaven in and through us constantly. And that his eyes aren't searching around looking for faults so that he can disqualify. That's the accuser in a wrong reading of John 16. The reality of what it is, his eyes are searching for whose hearts are loyal, who, who those who have the mentality to seek first his kingdom, a kingdom priority that he will cause the blessing of the kingdom to engulf their life. 
and them to have great success in the world because he's actually that good. And it's a very interesting thing. Let me read through my points a little bit. One point is there in the kingdom and in this mentality, um, there's a mentality to build and establish and be established. And that is a kingdom mindset versus the mindset to protect or maintain what we, what we have, which is like a fearful poverty, impoverished mentality. The life of King Asa, the simple point of the life of King Asa is that the Lord was always there and it's the same for us. Even though Asa realized this early in his life, there were times in which he didn't. He actually went and he relied on old networks, old ways to actually get his needs met. Because he's like, hey, let there be a treaty with you and me as there was with my father and your father. He's like, he went back into the lineage of Adam or into his old Adam bag and tried to work out kingdom things in his life and that will never work. It just will never happen. Because flesh and blood can inherit that which is kingdom. Those letters are read as well. But I mean, it's, it's, or it's a new covenant, new, new Testament stuff. story ends sad in a sense because Asa didn't turn to the Lord who was there to help. The picture for us is that he is always there for us as well. And we can acknowledge him in all of our ways. Like it says in Proverbs 3, in order to receive his direction which leads us into a victorious life. It was really interesting. We took communion this week and that Proverbs 3, maybe I'll close with it if I can find it. Um, it was Catherine, who's not here. Her mother's in the hospital, so we're going to continue to pray for her, by the way. But um, she, she was reading Proverbs 3. That was one of the words that she shared with the group. And, you know, I've quoted it several times here, but, you know, just the acknowledging in, in him, acknowledge your ways and he'll direct your paths. And, and she was kind of given her own description and commentary on Proverbs 3. But she's like, she was saying, like, having full commitment to the Lord causes you to have like your mind rewired into this reality and he directs your path. And I was just like, what, <laughs> you know, cause that's an actual scripture. And, and like she literally quoted Proverbs 16, three while she was describing Proverbs three. And, and it, and it simply just says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. And it's this beautiful thing that like, when we, have, when, when we commit everything that we're doing in this life, in our works, in our life, into the ways of the Lord, and like that's our priority, our thoughts are actually synced up to see things the way He sees. It causes our thinking patterns and the way we view things to be viewed in, you know, according to His plan. And I thought that was so beautiful and even kind of a good way to shut this thing down, close the message, because it's like there's this... There's this mentality of like, you know, seeking first the kingdom of like, if we can have the loyalty, the heart of loyalty, the eyes of the Lord, which are searching for those little hearts, if we can have that singleness of eyes, Jesus said, he, he, whose eye is single, his body will be full of light. And like that kingdom first mentality, like so ingrained in us that we're, we're never actually looking out for our own selves. We're actually looking to release the kingdom of heaven. Like everything is through the lens of love in our life. And it's never about us. It's about, it's about everything we touch, being released, heaven being released. There's something in that that causes our thoughts to be established to where our brains will start to think. It's like the renewal of the mind outside of this mindset 
of Adam, which is always hide from God, protect myself, get what I can. You know what I mean? To like, God is in me. God is with me. Release the kingdom of heaven. Let there be light. You know what I mean? It's such, it's such an aggressive mind shift that we're actually called to walk in that shares the reality of heaven everywhere we go. And this is who we're called to be, but it is rooted in realizing that God's actually good. Surprise, he's not the devil. You know what I mean? Hey, surprise, surprise. We've been taught that he's the accuser and he's the he convictor and of, our, of our sins and all these things. It's like, surprise, surprise. That's not in the Bible. And he's not that guy. He's the good one. And he's actually looking, the summer of faith, he's actually looking for people who's, who think like him, whose hearts and minds are loyal to him because he wants to do miraculous, incredible things through us that bless other people. And it's, it's so cool to receive a blessing or receive a breakthrough, but it's so much cooler and better to be the conduit for that, for somebody else, to be the vessel. Because then you double dip in, man. You know what I mean? And that's what we're about. 